Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Let's see if we can finish Romans today. It seems like forever, you know, we uh, had a couple interruptions there. We had, uh, it's been a busy time, not just this last week. You know, we had uh, a baptism service a couple weeks ago. We had Neil and Danette last week, and then again with camp, mission trips, and hearing about all that. Now with uh, lead up to BBS, uh, it is uh, a busy, busy time of year, and I really do appreciate everything everybody's doing, everybody is doing to make this a success. Anyway, very quickly, just so we know what we're finishing up, because it does, it seems like longer than two weeks since we've been here, at least it does to me, is that Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of Romans, and again, he didn't write it in chapters. Rainey, can you let me know when you're done talking and I'll start preaching, okay? Are you done? Thank you. He spends the first 11 chapters basically laying out what Christianity is. This is probably, almost certainly, the best, uh, most complete explanation of Christianity in the Bible, all in one spot. And it's, in, it's impossible to distill it into just a few sentences and really do it justice. But, essentially, uh, Paul writes through the, through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks through Paul as he writes, that the world is a bad place because people are corrupt. How many of them are corrupt? Most of them? A lot of them? All of them. Uh, we are corrupt, we are corrupt, we, because we inherited this corruption from Adam. The first man sinned, and he passed down that sin nature to all of mankind. That's where sin comes from. And another point he makes in this, uh, in this discourse on Christianity is that the Jews are a special people, but they're special because of the mission that God gave them specifically to preserve his word and to be the line of people through whom he would bring the Messiah to the world. Because Jesus is not just the Savior or Messiah for the Jews. He is the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of the Gentiles as much as he is the Savior of the Jews. And, hammers this point, the Jews need this salvation just as much as the Gentiles do. They don't get a pass just because they were the ones who were keeping God's word. And I mean keeping it as in preserving it, not as in following it. They clearly didn't do that. They had the same sin nature as the Gentile, word, uh, Gentile world. And, they had even, and the fact that they had God's word made them even more guilty. So, salvation comes to everyone, Jew and Gentile, the same way. And that is through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. Now, then, once he, once he uh, makes that case, he starts writing about the outworking. In chapter 12, he starts to write about the outworking of this faith. In starts with uh, the outworking of this faith in Christian community. Since we believe this, since this is true, and we are a community of people who believe this, here is how we behave in the presence of one another. This is what the Christian assembly looks like. He doesn't go into a lot of detail, but he does talk about the different gifts uh, and that the gifts of Romans chapter 12 aren't the same spiritual gifts that he writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, which Pastor Mike referred to when he was explaining the tongues and interpretation. These are gifts that are more or less present at birth. These are uh, what, 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 just like we would say, oh, this is a gifted, uh, when we refer to any of these natural talents, uh, 
proclivities that may, that need to be developed, but they are things that God put us put uh, built into us as part of our personality, and He's making us aware of these things to show how how these things are there to complement people with different gifts, and how when we all come together as a body, we build one another up and serve one another because of these gifts. Then. In chapter 13, he begins talking about the role of government and how we as believers are to respond to that. And the bottom line is that government is God's idea and that while we are first and foremost subjects of the kingdom of God, we are supposed to submit to human government. Uh, There is a lot wrapped up in that because you know as well as I do, there are times when God's word and God's law uh, are in conflict with human government. And the short answer is, when that's the case, we obey God. But we still submit to the penalty. Uh, there's a lot wrapped up in that. I'm not going to re-preach it right now. It's, it's online if you missed it. And then he writes uh, a chapter and some change about how we are to behave in light of the liberty we have. And again, this has uh, more to do with how we behave in the body with one another than it does with how we behave uh, among the Gentiles, as it were. Uh, but Paul does a superb balancing job here uh, with, between the idea of liberty and the principle of respect for others. And again, the bottom line is that you put others first. You don't put a stumbling block before your brothers or your sisters just in the course of celebrating or flaunting your liberty. That's how I've always uh, distilled that passage is you enjoy your liberty, but you don't flaunt your liberty. If, if you enjoying your liberty means putting a stumbling block in front of somebody else, the biblical injunction is to don't. D- that now is not the time for you to enjoy your liberty. If doing so, it's going to cause somebody else to stumble. And again, he's talking about doubtful things. Our Christian liberty does not extend to things the Bible clearly condemns. Well, yeah, the Bible says this is a sin, but I personally feel liberty to do this. And Paul says, if you've got liberty, go ahead and do it. No, it's only about doubtful things. He talks about the things he's, uh, he tells you what kind of things he's talking about. Things like certain foods, certain holidays, that sort of thing. It's going to upset some people to see you eat or drink certain foods. Don't do it in their presence. And don't make a big deal and don't put somebody down. Oh, you're so, you're so religious, you think you've got to observe that feast or that fast. I'm free from all that. Just let this person serve God if they feel... Uh, convicted or convinced that the best way they can serve God is to abstain from certain foods or to observe certain uh, days, feasts, or fasts. Let them do that because they're doing it before God. Don't put them down. And don't flaunt your liberty and make yourself look better. Uh, He wraps up his teaching on that where we wrapped up two weeks ago, which is celebrating the fact, once again, that God has saved both Jews and Gentiles and especially emphasizing Old Testament, uh, Old Testament passages that said God would do exactly that. I really love that he put those verses in there, and I'm talking now toward the uh, end of chapter 15 or the middle of chapter 15. Yeah, middle of chapter 15, which we covered. Uh, several specific verses that Paul quotes where God said, I will draw the Gentiles to me. The Gentiles will hear where, where I have not spoken uh, And all these things, and I'm glad he put it in there because he, again, he's speaking to a world where the Jews are still wrestling with this idea. They've begun to accept it. This is AD 50, 55, somewhere in there. And the Jews are, but they're still wrestling with it as in, boy, you know, it's really kind of weird. Who would have thought 
that the Gentiles would come into this salvation just like us. And Paul's like, we all should have thought it because God's been saying it since clear back in the days of Isaiah and even before. God's plan was never just to save the Jews and maybe a few Gentiles would get in. His plan all, all along was to save the world through the Jewish Messiah. Shouldn't it shouldn't really have uh, hit them like the curveball that it, that it did. So then he really begins to wind things down, this, this long letter, in chapter 15, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. Romans 15, 14. I'll read through verse 21. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, also able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. And what he's really saying here, I, you know, when he's talking about the offering of the Gentiles, he's not talking about the offering that they give. He talks about something like that a little bit later. He's talking about the offering of the Gentiles themselves. He's saying, look, you know, beginning in verse, verse 14, he's saying, look, I, I know you already know a lot of this stuff. I have respect for you and where you are in your journey and your teaching and your preaching, but I want you to have it in writing from me, an apostle, so that you know how important it is that you excel in these things. You're under a lot of pressure from Jewish Christians who are watching you so you do all you can to allow God to live through you in such a manner that they cannot have any doubt that you have received the same Holy Spirit they have. You see? And he's saying, he goes on to say, I'm, really, I'm not talking just theory and doctrine here. I'm preaching the things that I have participated in and witnessed personally, including signs, wonders, and miracles. So it, it, uh, he starts off almost apologizing, like, I've gone into all this great detail, even though I'm confident that you know this stuff. But I want you to have it in writing, and I want you to continue to press on and make it your point to excel in these things for your benefit, for the glory of God, and to prove to the Jews that you have the same God, the same Holy Spirit, the same Messiah that they have. I've held nothing back, he says. Everywhere I have gone, I have preached the full counsel of God, and I have seen the signs, and I've done... He basically says, I've gone everywhere I'm supposed to go in this region. And where I've gone, I've pioneered. I didn't go, for the most part, uh, to build on some other man's work. I went where they hadn't heard the gospel. I preached it there, and I preached the full gospel there. And now that I've done that, he, then he goes on to say, now that I've done that, I want, uh, I've wanted to visit you for a long time, but I've been busy. <laughs> I've had other places God's called me to go. Looks like there's going to be a door opening for me to come see you. I'm going, he says now that he's going to Jerusalem with an offering that he has collected for the poor in Jerusalem, the, the poor believers in Jerusalem. 
Uh, let's just read verses 20, uh, beginning in verse 25. This is still chapter 15, Romans 15, 25. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution, a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. That's a great passage, and he will revisit that concept later in in some of his uh, future and shorter letters. But he's pointing to something historical here, that where he's gone in these Gentile regions, and as he has, uh, again, we don't have it in all of his letters, but the things he's writing to the Romans are the things he's preaching everywhere he goes, all right? And so when he's preaching in, these, in Macedonia and, uh, and all the cities in this region, he's telling them the same stuff. And so um, uh, in addition to the fact that he's telling them Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead and offers you new life, he's giving them the Jewish history. Let me tell you who this Messiah is because these were people without the law. So he has to explain it, give them the background. So he tells them about the Old Testament uh, promise of Messiah and, and the Jews' roles in, uh, role in bringing Jesus into the world and preserving God's word. And so these people are recognizing, these, Jew, these Gentiles who become Christians are recognizing, we owe the Jews. They are the ones who have preserved this word. They are the ones that God has brought through all the struggle, all these conquests, all this captivity and everything else to bring this Jesus that we need into my life. They have inherited this spiritual heritage from the Jews. And so what they're going to do as a response is send an offering to the poor Jews in Jerusalem. It's a, re- it's a, it's a really uh, nice picture. And, and again, uh, Paul goes on to say this about ministers, uh, not just uh, the Jew and Gentile difference, but, but, he's, but he goes on to say in, in defense of his apostleship. He says, those who share spiritual things with you, you ought to share material things with them, which is why you pay your pastor, frankly, all right? And it's why we, we give to guest ministers and everything else. Uh, he, so then he, he, what he tells him then is, I'm going to Spain. I'm, I'm going to go to Jerusalem with this offering. My next trip is to Spain, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll stop by Rome on the way, which he does, and he ends up staying there probably a little longer than he planned, if you remember the book of Acts. But... Uh, He's telling him how excited he is about the opportunity to finally visit the Christians there in Rome. In verse uh, 30, he says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. This is a really neat thing, too. And it kind of reinforces what he says in verse 14 about his confidence in them. Here he writes this very detailed letter, which you can take... Uh, and again, the language isn't as simple for us, remembering it's a translation, it, it's why it needs to be studied, it's why it needs to be taught, but the people he was writing it to wouldn't have struggled with some of the wording that we might struggle with. I said all that to say he's writing them a, a letter that's detailed enough that the simplest person could, could respond to this truth and understand it. Oh, that's what Christianity is. But then he turns around here in verse 14 and says, uh, it's not that I'm not giving you credit for, for not already knowing this. I know that you understood a lot of this already. I just want, want you to know I'm confident in you. I want you to have it in writing. And then in verse 30, he says to these people that he's just instructed in all this basic stuff how he is begging them to pray for him. You know, uh, I've seen people around uh, great ministers 
well-known ministers. And, and one of the things they want more than anything is just for that minister to lay hands on them. Would you pray for me, brother so-and-so? Would you, would you do this? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I've seen ministers respond, oh, I'd, be, I'd be privileged to do that. So here's Paul, the greatest minister of his day. And he's asking, he's begging these Roman Christians, I really covet your prayers for me. Do you see how that kind of elevates the Roman Christians? Instead of saying, oh, you're my, you're my students, you're, these, uh, you're, you're my disciples, I'll pray for you, don't worry. I'm the apostle, I'll cover you with my prayers. He's asking them to partner with him in praying for his ministry. And he needed it. He was heading back to Jerusalem, and he knew exactly what was uh, one of the things. Well, he goes on to talk about that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. He knew he was heading into a dangerous territory going back to Jerusalem because of his record, right? The Jews were the people who were really the thorn in his side, the thorn in his flesh, as it were. Uh, let's move on here, because then in, uh, he, in chapter 16, he gets into the final greetings. He is really signing off now, and in, in verse 1 there, 16.1, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sencria, and Phoebe is probably the one who delivered this letter. That's why he mentions her first. And uh, then this letter is full of names that Phoebe herself could refer to when she gets to Rome, knowing that she's going to have friends and and Christian brothers and sisters there. And uh, then there's a lot of names. And it's just kind of fun to read through them. There's a few that are familiar, right? Early on, verse 3, we see Priscilla and Aquila. We met them in the book of Acts, right? Then there's a lot of unfamiliar names. There's some that are fun to pronounce or try to pronounce. You know, Urbanus and Dacus and Apelles and Rufus. I want to meet Rufus. I want to find out who Rufus is. You know, Rufus is the brother who's mentioned in the book of Romans. But I want you to think about this. All of these names that he's telling, greet this person, greet Andronicus, uh, my fellow worker, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Uh, Greet them, greet them, greet them. I want you to think how cool it would be just to be one of the people that's listed in this. You're listed in the book of Romans, in the Bible, by name, just because Paul wanted to make sure that you were greeted. This, is, this would be, you understand how much better this is than being mentioned in an Oscar speech? You know, somebody gets up in a great award ceremony, this wouldn't be possible without, and they start naming the people. And, and, and that, you know, if you've contributed to this person's success or whatever, nice to hear your name mentioned. And this is etched into the Word of God. And the Word of God remains forever. These people really uh, meant something to Paul, and I believe they meant something to God uh, to, be, to be named in this list. And he's just saying, greeting, hey, I know you. And he's saying this to encourage them. They read, oh yeah, so-and-so's in the city, so-and-so's. They, reminding them that they, they have family in the city as well. Uh, but I also think this whole passage is, uh, is another mark of the Bible's authenticity. You will run into people, and, and many of you I'm sure have. Maybe all of you have at one time or another. Or you at least read something on Facebook or Twitter or something where somebody will say something very dismissive about the Bible. How can, we, how can people still believe the Bible? Who's, when are we going to understand that some man just wrote this stuff out trying to create a religion to control people? Or something similar. And I always ask myself the same thing or ask, ask the heir the same thing. How can anybody... How could anybody ever say or ask a question like that if they ever actually read the Bible? I mean, you might disagree with some things. There might be some things you struggle with, but you wouldn't say something stupid like that if you'd actually read the Bible because that's not what the Bible looks like. 
it doesn't look like a book that somebody wrote down to invent a religion. I mean, even scholars who criticize the Bible know that that's not how it worked. All right? If Paul or somebody pretending to be Paul or somebody else is going to write you a religion and try to control you, they're not going to clutter it up with an entire chapter of random names. Hey, make sure you say hi to so-and-so. Greet this person. Greet this person. This person's important to me. This person's my fellow laborer, blah, blah, blah. It just, it's kind of, it doesn't add anything to the doctrine. Right? Again, a mark of its authenticity. In verse 17, we're here in uh, Romans 16, 17, and we really are wrapping up. And he says, Now, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those, who are such, do not serve, uh, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I want you to notice that we need to be careful here. When he says... Brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned. The next thing he says is, and avoid them. There are people who latch onto this verse and a couple similar verses and have literally taken it upon themselves to, be, to, to embrace the ministry of criticism. They re- now, there are ministries that I have appreciated uh, who exist to sort of expose the, the bad teachings of cults. Uh, and we, and we, we, we kind of need that out there. But the heresy hunters, the professional heresy hunters, who do nothing but listen to, to all kinds of different ministers, listen to, to their messages, read their books, and look for one tiny little point of doctrine where they can say, aha, I found a website years ago. I was doing research on somebody. I can't remember who it was. And it said, here's what's wrong with such and such. I, couldn't, I, 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 I don't know if I would tell you if I remembered who it was, but I honestly don't remember who I was looking it up. And I remember reading it thinking, well, that's kind of interesting. And then it says, see the list here, and I click on it. You name a minister. If you've heard of them, they were on this list. I'm like, you can't listen to anybody, except I'm sure ultimately if you ask this author, who's safe to listen to? Well, me. I heard a guy, uh, and this was a smart, conservative guy. He was a scientist uh, doing some, uh, did worked in some research park or something. Soft-spoken, very smart, and uh, knew him in Farmer City. And I was sitting just kind of chatting, having coffee with him and another pastor over there. And uh, kind of asked him, you know, so what's, what's the Lord doing in your life? Where's, where's he taking? He said, well, you know, I thought about staying at this church, you know, and, and just kind of working along with my pastor and, and maybe being his associate or something. But I really kind of feel like God's called me to just visit other churches. I think I've told you this story before. He's called me to kind of go from church to church, maybe spend uh, two or three weeks at a church and listen, and then correct the pastor on what they're doing wrong. And he's he's serious as he could be. I'm like, and I didn't even say a word. I thought, you really think that's your ministry? You think God's called you to do that? To go from church to church and be a critic? You've got to be kidding me. Now again, I'm not above criticism. I, I welcome it. I don't always respond really well to it in the moment. But, but you'll, you, you better never hear me say, hey, I'm the pastor. 
So you know what the Bible says about touching God's anointed. That means you never say anything to correct me. No, 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 no. I'll re- I will listen to your correction. And again, I might argue, I might get my back up in the moment, but I will let it settle, let it di- digest, and then I will calmly come back and tell you why you're wrong. No, I will, I will then. Okay? Uh, but, but the first thing you should do, if you're in this church, you feel hooked up with one another, with me, uh, what should, what should you, your response be? First, first response, pray. Like Paul, pray for me. You, you should pray for your pastor. Your pastor's praying for you. All right? But I, I do. I covet your prayers because we're in this thing together. All right? Uh, but notice, he does say, uh, note them. Want, you know, make, make a note of them so that you recognize them, and then avoid them. If they're stirring up dissent, if they, are, if they are stirring up dissent and causing offense based on doctrine that's contrary to what I'm teaching you, just avoid them, okay? Uh, when he talks about being simple concerning evil, I think some translations say innocent. Be excellent at what is good, be innocent of evil. Here it says, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Um, I want you to understand there, I, I kind of like the translation simple here because innocent just might mean you don't do it simple means it's kind of encouraging me that you know you don't have to be on top of every evil thing that's going on in the world to combat evil we can be excellent at what is good without knowing everything that's bad it's okay to be a little naive i'll be honest with you um i don't know if i've shared this specific confession with you before i've tried to be as open as i can about where you know the the there's you know, uh, we, we've not been perfect. I know nobody's perfect when it comes to raising kids. I love my kids. I could tell you stories just by the last two days about the blessing my son has been. I mean, he's, he's been a young Christian man, and he's helped me a lot with, the, with my driving and, the, and, and just being with me. He's a blessing. Riley, you're a blessing. I love you. But man, let me tell you. No, I, let me tell you. Uh, but but uh, there's the struggles we've had with them. And I understand, listen, I totally get it. I don't beat myself up over it, uh, but I want to own the responsibility that's mine. I understand that that nature and nurture play a role in this thing, okay? But if I could, and there's, just like I've I've told you before, man, there's some things I look back at my high school years, you know, when I, there are some things I was bold about sharing the faith, but there's a hundred things if I could go back to high school and do, I would do them differently, Probably a thousand things. And I don't need you any commentary from you, Todd. Same thing with my kids. If I could go back, there's some things I'd change. But if I could change one thing, they would have been exposed to a lot less media. It's tough to stay innocent or simple concerning evil when in this day and age, even more than it was five years ago, let alone 10, 15 years ago. We're surrounded by it. And so they have learned some things and seen some things that I really wish they hadn't. And that's, that's largely my fault. Not that God can't fix it. Not that we can't do better. But this is what Paul's talking about here. I want you to be simple concerning evil things. It's all right if you're ignorant about some of these things. And you think, well, we can't be ignorant. And I, I get that. But, but the, the best analogy I can give you is the one they always used to tell you about counterfeit doctrine and, and, and about the Secret Service guys uh, who, are, who are tasked with tracking down uh, counterfeit currency. Now, I, th- I believe I read somewhere where this isn't exactly true. So full disclosure, but I still think it's a great illustration where they say these counterfeit, these counter-counterfeit agents 
uh, what they, that they don't study. They don't spend a lot of time looking at counterfeit bills. What they do is they memorize. They spend countless hours looking at the real thing so that they know what real currency looks like so that when they encounter a counterfeit bill, they know it's counterfeit because they know what a real one looks like. Again, I don't think that's 100% true when it comes to the people who are tasked with doing this, but I have certainly found this to be true when it comes to counterfeit doctrine. I won't share the whole story with you now, but I'll just remind you of, of my, uh, the time I spent, you know, eight or ten Saturdays or so with uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses that came to my house. Enjoyed their company, enjoyed the conversation. We probably spent about an hour a Saturday, right? This guy came, never overstay his welcome. We had some great talk. But after the first time, and after he asked permission to come back the second time, uh, I said yes, because I wanted to continue the conversation, but I was a little bit nervous. And my first instinct was to go out and buy a couple books about the Jehovah's Witnesses so that I knew what I, what I could be prepared for be prepared for i hardly got anything read but by the second week i realized i didn't have to at this point in my christian life i knew enough of the bible to recognize when they said something that was counter to that and it never was i i I can't remember a single time where i'm like oh no he's got me i've got to come up with an answer to this it was just a matter of well you know i I told you the one concrete example that sticks in my mind was was when the guy said you know, Jesus came and he started a work that, uh, that he didn't finish. We're here. Our job as, as believers is to finish it. And, and while there's a nugget of truth there because we do have a mission, the, what I was able to counter with was what did Jesus mean when he said, it is finished? Can you remember what his response was? I'm not aware that Jesus ever said that. And I know their Bible's different, but their Bible says that too. So that's the thing. You can be wise in what is good. And, and the more wise you are in, in God's good ways, the less you need to know about evil in order to combat it. Concentrate on the good side of the equation. Finally, uh, and let's just read the final greetings from Paul's end here in verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, Sosipater my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Wait a second. I thought Paul wrote this epistle. Tertius is his amanuensis, his uh, secretary, ghostwriter, whatever. He is, uh, Paul is dictating this letter to Tertius. Uh, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. He's got a government official in his posse. And uh, Cordus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, uh, Amen. Now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Uh, Again, it's interesting that we have that little thing there from Tertius, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, uh, and then we see, if you, you'll, we'll see when we get over to Galatians, Paul makes a point of stressing that he wrote that letter by himself. You remember that? Where he says, see what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Uh, this, but typically he had, he, he had uh, somebody like Tertius there, I think, writing uh, this stuff as he dictated it. And then in 25 through 26 there where he wraps this up, this is my gospel. This is the gospel that Jesus had given him to preach. 
recognizing that this is a mystery that's been there since the world began and now it is unraveling. It's being revealed to the world and that our job is to apply those scriptures, open them, unpack them, to make known the commandments of the everlasting God for what? The obedience to the faith. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.